Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, July 2nd. Today we are reading from the big book. We are on page 37, fourth paragraph, starting with our behavior is as absurd. Today's readers are Julie, Sally, and Nancy. The reference number for Monday, July 1st, is 4722. And again, that's 4722. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, this is Diane from New Hampshire, Compulsive Overeater. Um, 12 steps. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane. I will now ask Anne S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Uh, hi, good morning. My name is Anne S. from Pennsylvania, composed of overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, 
Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name will never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I passed. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 37, fourth paragraph down. And I will ask Julie to begin reading, please. Hi, I'm Julia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from California. Our behavior is absurd as incomprehensible with respect to that first drink as that of an individual with a passion, save for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of a fast-moving vehicle. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warning. Up to this point, you would label him as foolish. A, fo- a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he is hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks, he breaks legs. Again, I'm Julia Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And, you know, I remember reading the story many, many times and um, not really getting it, but that's when I really didn't get the solution. And now I think about it, I mean, it didn't matter any length of abstinence I had. Any time that I started obsessing over food um, when I was in meetings and they'd have these five or six inch cookies and all I could do is start looking at them, I knew that I was in danger. And then it reached that point, right, the obsession of the divine, that I'm I'm just like in a time warp. I remember after the meeting eating the rest of them, and there must have been 10 or 15 of these cookies. And then, of course, the remorse would kick in. And how did I do this again? I told myself it would never happen. And then I would get that strong resolve, right, because um, it was never going to happen, and I would get abstinent and get a new sponsor because that was going to fix it. Same thing, you know, I'd walk by and I would see my kids, whatever. And boom, before I know it, I was face down in the food, eating and eating where I couldn't stop. All at once knowing that I couldn't stop. I mean, that's the whole thing, you know. Once I started, I could not stop. And I think for me, I I, I just see myself in this entire paragraph because self-knowledge means nothing. I mean, this is the perfect paragraph for that. It tells you we know what's going to happen. We know Anytime we pick up, it's going to be another desperate, fast elevator ride to hell. And we might not get back for two weeks, two months, six months. This last one for me was two and a half years after I picked up, after um, almost three years of abstinence. Um, because I wasn't recovered, I didn't understand. Now I understand what um, what I need to do. And, and it's all about being spiritually fit. But this story is so true for me. It has my name on it. Self-knowledge didn't do anything for me because I would forget. I would forget about gaining the 50 pounds. I would forget about picking up purging. I would forget about being angry, um, self-loathing. And then I'd get a couple weeks, do it again. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Julie. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Hi, good morning. This is Naomi. May I share? Sure, Naomi. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, this has to be one of my favorite stories, but I could never equate it to <clears throat> the uh, jaywalker until I became I started Visions for You. But, boy, this has my name, as the lady before said, all over it because I can remember so many times just going out and binging my head off and being sick to my stomach and saying, never again, never again. But then shortly after that, the compulsion came back into the brain. The obsession came back into the brain, and it was like that was it. One bite, and the allergy was off and running, and it just it never stopped. And time and time again, I just I just kept doing it. I kept doing it because this is what my body was de- demanding of me, and I was feeding into every bite. And when I was reading this story after becoming envisioned, you know, joining Visions for You, I just realized this really, this is my story. And thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? It's Leah. Hi, this is Leah. Leah, go ahead. Sure, Leah, and then was it, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Amy. I heard Amy, and then there was someone else. Barbara. Tawana. Tawana, and then Barbara. So we've got Leah, Amy, Tawana, and Barbara. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Christy. My name's Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. I certainly can't miss out on the jaywalker here. It says our behavior is absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink of that as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. So uh, the text is now going to use the absurd to, to help spotlight the absurd behavior of the alcoholic, my absurd behavior. It says he gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. So, you know, at first he's lucky, and he's going to manage to jaywalk without injury. Uh, but the odds are going to catch up to this guy, and he's going to get injured several times, yet he still keeps running out in front of vehicles, and soon, you know, he's got a broken arm, it says, and he swears that off because it's a dangerous habit, but then he goes right back to it and gets both of his legs broken. And just like the disease, it's going to get worse in the next paragraph. Um, But this is a clear illustration of my behavior. You know, it went from not wanting to stop binging because it was just too much fun. You know, it was just too much fun uh, to not being able to stop due to the obsession of the mind. I mean, those those chains of this disease of compulsive overeating were much too soft to be felt until they were much too hard to be broken. I mean, once I was aware of who and what I was, it was no uh, deciding on my part, like this last statement here. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks his break, he breaks both legs. I mean, there was no decision that I could make to stop this beast from uh, continuing uh, to to drag me around by my hair because a sick mind can't heal a sick mind. And there is no way, I mean, we often draw the analogy, you know, once, once uh, you know, you're, you know, pickled, uh, there's no going back to the state of being a cucumber, and that was definitely true for me. Uh, you know, the, once I w- this cucumber uh, myself became a pickle, there was no becoming a cucumber again because I couldn't reverse the brining process. This obsession of the mind, this mental click that the big book is now teaching about, it's a mental twist. It's a peculiar peculiar mental twist that despite the pain, despite the suffering, despite all the consequences, despite my broken arms and broken legs, um, there was this mental click that would occur and my pain had no memory. You know, something clicked in my mind, which led me to pick up. And that's why our disease is described as an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. It is a mental problem. It is mental. I got a thrill out of running in front of fast-moving vehicles. And when the pain got so great that I wanted to stop, I couldn't, left to my own devices and resources. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Amy, go ahead. 
Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Um, yes, absolutely. To ditto, you know what's been said. What we're talking about here, and more about alcoholism, is actually the greater aspect of our disease. We have a physical allergy, but we have a mental obsession. And my biggest issue is what's up in between my two ears. That warped thinking when it comes to my food and my eating and my binging. In all other areas, I can understand an allergy and stop eating it and stop, and stop doing it. If I'm allergic to strawberries and it causes me hives, I am sane when it comes to thinking about that. And then I say, okay, well, I'm not going to eat strawberries anymore. But because of this mental obsession, an obsession with food and this destructive eating, my mind is warped. My mind is warped and I cannot think clearly when it comes and I think of an insane reason to eat with all reasons to the contrary. I mean, some people may think this jaywalking is extreme, but we, didn't we just read earlier a couple of paragraphs ago that we are like people who have lost their legs, we never grow new ones? This is what we're up against. We're up against a disease that warps our mind to the point that even if our legs are broken and we're on our back and we're getting killed, almost killed by uh, a moving vehicle. Oh, I apologize. It's going to get loud, I think. Uh, a moving vehicle. It doesn't matter because we're not sane when it comes to the food. It says we are without mental defense against the first bite. And they are reinforcing this again and again and again so that we can smash home the fact that if you are a truly a compulsive overeater like I am, there will come a point in time where we will cross that line and there is no going back. We will not grow new legs. We will have to find a power greater than ourselves. The solution that this program offers, the spiritual remedy of working through these 12 steps that bring us this, this, this freedom from this, this uh, wretched, wretched disease. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Amy. Tawana, go ahead. You will need to press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Tawana. Was I next? Y you were. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, I like this reading because, um, you know, they use really pretty much a parable or some type of absurd example to get the attention to, I don't know, just take the blinders off my eyes or anyone's eyes coming in and don't have the understanding that this is a disease and how... Um, absurd it re our behavior really is. And so I really liked it from that perspective because never in a million years would I dream of, of taking up jaywalking um, as, a, as a hobby or something to do for thrill-seeking. And it's just, you know, I wouldn't go and break my legs on purpose. But that's exactly what I'm doing, you know, when I was into the food. And so I'm grateful today to be recovered. But I really think that this paragraph um, it's kind of designed to take the blinders off. It's almost kind of like, um, like I said, a parable gives a good example for someone to be able to see, now this is really um, not good, what I'm doing to myself. And didn't even realize this is, is what I'm doing to myself. I'm really throwing myself in front of a moving vehicle um, with by participating in this disease. And that's all I wanted to share. I just thought it was pretty, pretty cool paragraph that just helps take the blinder off um, to the reality of um, what we do to ourselves when we eat or drink. Thanks. Thanks, Tawana. Barbara, go ahead. Barbara, you'll need to press star one to unmute your phone. All right, thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I, too, read this a long time ago and thought, this is really an absurd comparison. How can jaywalking and the insanity of deliberately doing it be compared to my problem, my addiction to food, my continually going back despite the consequences, despite it? But it's still not that extreme, but my experience is that it is, and it's a wonderful thing to think of, and I can think of it in moments of clarity and periods of abstinence and sanity. 
And I need to keep, for me, doing that again and again and get that image so that when the madness strikes, if it does, I can use this as one of the reminders of the, as it says, the craziness, the obscenity, the absurdity, all the words. The, it, it is incomprehensible to a person who's normal. But as it says, if he were normal, which it's very clear I'm not, because a normal person would not deliberately go ahead and binge and eat excessively with the price that's paid. I can remember like this person who was in the asylum and then came out and was jaywalking again, you know, being released from a psychiatric ward from having been so crazy with sugar and antidepressants and then coming out. And that night at midnight, the madness was on me because I had you know, no ability or no grace to go to the 12 steps or to go to people in the fellowship or my God within or without. And I, of course, went to food. And I remember sitting in darkness downstairs and my daughter, who had come, you know, a distance to care for me, looked at me and couldn't believe I was sitting on the couch binging the night I was released from the hospital. That is, in my mind, the equivalent, no doubt about it, of the person who was in the asylum, was released, and went back to it. So there's no way to bind me up with chains or a hospital or or anything or a chain around the refrigerator if I don't have the prayer, the grace of God, and my understanding of God, which involves the 12 steps, the fellowship, and a God within, there's no chain that will bind me, just as you couldn't tie up this man who was driven to resume the jaywalking, even though he didn't want to, even though he promised that he wouldn't. He was back doing it. They say the thrill. For me, it works if I say that momentary ease and comfort, which goes me back to the jaywalking and the insanity and the price that's paid. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Um, I heard I, I heard a few people, so I heard Bella, and then uh, who else? Rose. Rose. Sheila. Sheila. And is it Rosa? Rosa. Barasa? Okay. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So I've got four people. I've got Bella, Rose, Sheila, and Barasa. So go ahead, Bella. Nancy. Uh, wow. Uh, thank you very much for letting me share. My name is Bella, and I am a compulsive overeater. Wow. It brings me memories from the past that I am happy that I am not there anymore. Um, yes, one of my character defects was to please people, to do everything, anything that people should be happy with me, that people should love me. So I always, when I was in front of cookies and ice cream and bread and you name it, I promised to myself, oh, this time I will not eat it. This time I will not touch it. I wanted to be sure that now... Everybody will love me and will give me a hug and will say, wow, Bella, you did it. But, of course, I couldn't do it because the binging is not in my control. The binging is not the, my sickness. This, the binging and the overeater is the, the, a symptom, of, the symptom of my disease. And every time that I didn't pass the test and I continued to eat without control and without any, any stop, I put myself down and again and again and again. So, you know, my solution was anyway, I don't, I am nothing. I cannot, you know, I cannot trust myself. I am not good enough. So let's go. Again, I went to the food, and it was like I couldn't stop it. And now that I am, thank God, I am in the program, I know that I couldn't stop it, and it's nothing to do with me. This is my disease in my mind, and I cannot do it by myself. I have, I have to have the help of God. And, you know, now I see myself... 
you know, I put myself in danger because I wanted to find my love and my care, but this wasn't the right way. And now, thank God, thank God, I know that the food is not a, a solution. I have to face my feelings and not to be afraid from them, not to be afraid from expecting and expressing my feelings. And when I am not, I don't have the fear from, uh, from those feelings, I can find the right solution and I can, I can talk to myself and say, Bella, the food is there for you to eat when you are hungry and to eat the right food, the right amount. And it's not a mask anymore. It's not a solution to run away from the feelings. And it's a freedom to be aware of my own feelings. And it doesn't matter which feelings are there, if they are happiness or sadness, if it's excitement or depression, it doesn't matter. Just be aware of the feelings. And by this I will pass. Thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you, Bella. Rose, go ahead. Thank you, um, Christy. This is Rose, com Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, just very briefly, the things that really hit me with this uh, paragraph is the, um, you know, God's hand behind all the wording. The beginning sentence, our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual. But what really, in addition to that, what, what hits me so strongly is uh, some particular wording here that applies to my food addiction. It says, as that of an individual with a passion, which I had for compulsive overeating. And then the next sentence, he gets a thrill. And granted, the example is jaywalking, but he gets a thrill. I ate to remove being restless, irritable, and discontent. And how many thousands of times was there a thrill in an exciting new restaurant, in a new food, in a new whatever, or even the same old, same old? It was at least squeezing some kind of thrill out of an uh, unhuman, um, uh, addicted existence that I couldn't get otherwise. But then the paragraph goes on. In the next couple of sentences, it says, You would expect him, if he were normal, and there, I mean, the, the big book for me is always <clears throat> stating in either a sentence or a phrase something. And it was mentioned earlier about this paragraph really helps take the blinders off you know, once the extreme example of jaywalking, which, as everyone has said, it's not so extreme. Matter of fact, it's not extreme at all. Because, um, it, and as it says here in the paragraph, it's an exact um, example of the level of insanity. And if I were exam, if I were normal, I would have cut it out. But like all the um, uh, pages prior to this one paragraph, it's being said over and over and over. I had no sanity, no normalcy when it came to uh, food addiction, compulsive overeating. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Sheila, go ahead. Sheila, can you press star one to unmute your phone, please? How about uh, Baraka? Yes, this is Baraka. Thank you. Um, this this really um, talks to me because um, I, I when I qualified, I used to bring in this paragraph because for me, it was really you know maybe this time will be different. Maybe this time I'll be able to to control it. Maybe this time I won't get hurt or run over. 
and I because I was trying so hard to be normal that as far as food went that I kept doing these, this craziness and of course the obsession once I put things in my mouth which I wasn't ready to admit I wasn't ready to admit I had a disease or I had an addiction and so I kept trying to prove that I could eat like other people and that, to me, when I read about the jaywalker, I said, it's the same thing with food. And this is what I've been doing for 10 years in program. And um, when I, and six, over six years ago, six and a half years ago, when I finally surrendered and said, I am a sugar addict and I am a compulsive overeater and I don't have to do this anymore if I really surrender and if I really turn it over to my higher power, and thank God, one day at a time, I've been abstinent. But every day I have to say, yeah, it's only by God's grace, loving grace, and only by his will. And I have to do my part, which is work my program and use the tools and the steps. But when I read this paragraph, it always reminds me of those first 10 years of just, you know, again, the obsession over and over again and just not learning from it because it's not an intellectual thing. It's an emotional thing and it's a spiritual thing and um, I can't control it. I can't, but God can. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Barasa. Um, Shiva, are you available Hi. to speak? Yes, I am. Thank you. Thanks. You Go ahead. Good morning. Um, thank you for your service. This is Sheila from New York, Compulsive Overeater. I wanted to identify in and um, what struck me was he gets a thrill out of skipping in front of a fast-moving vehicle. My initial was the yo-yo diet. It's like I could eat whatever I want as long as I stayed as active as I could. I used to dance in the early years. And as long as I was active and keep moving, it seemed like I was doing the same thing. I didn't, didn't realize until I read this, this is the first time I paid attention to this, is that what I used to do with the yo-yo diet was the same thing like the jaywalking. But because this is a, a disease and a progressive disease, I went from the yo-yo diet to what I call Russian roulette. Russian roulette is like dodging a bullet, like fear of going to the doctor once a year, having a checkup, and wondering what the numbers are. What's my AC1? What's my cholesterol? It felt like Russian roulette, whereas if I was doing and treating myself and my body with the respect and the gift that God gave me, I wouldn't have been taking such a risk with my life. I heard this morning, a sick mind can't heal a sick mind. That was so profound for me. And this particular paragraph reminds me of the Russian roulette I play with my life when I don't put my food and my weight and my mind and my body in my higher power hands. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. Sally, why don't you go ahead and read that next paragraph on page 38 for us, please. Okay. Uh, this is Sally from South Jersey. On through the years, this conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce. Mm -hmm. He is held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? I'm still Sally in South Jersey, Sally A., and, um, you know, this chapter, first of all, more about alcoholism, is uh, over and over trying to drill home, drive home the mental obsession behind the, the eating that we do. Uh, first with the story of Jim, the car salesman, then the jaywalker here, and then Fred, the accountant, which is uh, the up-and-coming mm -hmm. example. But here we are in the Jay Walker story, and I have to say, when I first heard the story, I thought, this seems kind of silly. This is very hard to relate to for me because, uh, I mean, gee whiz, uh, it just really did seem like a, a crazy story. But, you know, as I thought about this, 
rem- I'm reminded of when I worked in a psych hospital in Philly, um, a very large hospital, and specifically the cutters, the self-mutilators. And I remember how crazy that appeared to me uh, when I saw those uh, young people coming in the doors and, and even um, older people coming in the door who were self-mutilating. And um, eventually I began to realize that binging was a form of self-mutilating. Because if I have a body that is distorted because of my weight and I'm not able to stop eating, when I know that this practice, and as it says here in this previous paragraph, he has a passion with a passion for jaywalking. I have a passion for food. People say this all the time. I love food. You know, it flies when you're Italian, and I am. It flies to say, oh, I love that. Oh, I love that kind of food. This guy had a passion for jaywalking. He got a thrill. I got a thrill. Many of us got a thrill. That thrill was not fun anymore when it became the obsession of our mind when it became really what is a mental obsession. And so on through the years, back to my paragraph, on through the years, this conduct, this mental obsession continues for this guy. No different than a self-mutilator. No different than me. Accompanied by his continual promises, promises to himself probably, Thus, the promises that I made to me were the most painful that I broke. Oh, my goodness, I'm not going to do that. I'm done with that. Comments that I would say to myself daily, repeatedly, that became part of the obsession. No, I'm not going to do that. And, of course, that 3 o'clock howling, crazy feeling of a werewolf within my body that would come out of me, that I would lose. Am I back? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we can hear you now. So, so finally, when that, finally, at that, that same kind of a crazy thinking that this poor guy had, that werewolf in me at three o'clock in the afternoon that would rise up out of me, truly like a howling in my soul, that would caused me to stop feeling any sense of control that I might have thought that I had for the first few hours of my day that would lead me back to that same crazy, mental, obsessive conduct of binging. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce. Okay, so it affects his life just like it affected Jim in our first example. And he is held up to ridicule. And trust me, He ridicules himself more than anyone else could ever do. The shame, the guilt. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. More control tactics. Let me try this prepackaged food. Let me try these little tiny containers. Maybe this will work. Let me try this diet. Let me try that diet. He shuts himself up in an asylum, much like a cutter, a self-mutilator, might desperately, or, you know, their parents might lock them up or they might lock themselves up. Much like I wish I could have locked myself up as a binger. I wish there was a place that I could lock myself up. Hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine. You know, it sounded so crazy to me when I read this story. But it's really not that insane, not compared to me, daily, daily turning to that food, daily having the crazy howling, howling thoughts in my mind, like, like what I would equate to that werewolf thinking, that's just a total change of personality that would come over me. I don't think that it even, there really was a total change. I think I woke up with it in the morning and it just was moments of thinking maybe I can contain this thing, this craziness within me. 
Oh. And then, of course, thank God, finding out about the spiritual solution, the only solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sally. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Judith. Um, I think, was that Judith, Judy or Judith? Judith. Katie. Judith and okay. then Nancy and then Katie. Let's start there. Go ahead, Judith. Well, thank you, Christy. This is Judith in Vermont, recovering compulsive overeater. Um, what the Earth people don't realize is the cars and the trucks, when they're going by for us, have an electric electromagnetic charge and we are drawn like magnets to the food or to the bus depending on whether you're a compulsive overeater or a jaywalker and only God can take the charge off of those metal objects and when God takes the charge off we can walk down the street like anybody else we're normal because God has taken the charge off of my binge foods I I realized the other day that my binge foods are sexy to me even when I see them written. When I see the letters of my binge foods, there is a sexual charge to them that I betcha other people don't have. So, um, and also there was a guy in our meeting who's about 500 pounds, and when he read this story, he was laughing and laughing, and, and I realized he was laughing in derision. He was mocking that guy. He, he could see no connection between himself and and that story and and that's just how our denial is that we don't realize we have an electromagnetic charge to food and with that I'll pass thanks thank you Judith Nancy go ahead this is Nancy did you call me I did Nancy go ahead sorry I was unmuting this is Nancy recovered compulsive reader from Lewiston Idaho good morning everybody um, I, too, can so relate to the Jay Walker story. You know, I remember a lot of people have shared when they first read this story, they thought, well, that's ridiculous. And I, I too, thought the same thing. But as I have read it and studied it and um, really came to terms with um, the greater aspect of my disease being my thinking and how I thought and acted around food, especially, especially this paragraph is towards the you know, towards the end for him, it's getting worse and worse, especially in those years with my eating. I can't, it fit to a T. And, um, you know, I love the first part of this paragraph says, you know, accompanied, it continued on through the years as did my compulsive overeating, accompanied by the continual promises to be careful or to keep um, stopped altogether. Well, the greater aspect of my mind is, you know, the problem is I can't stop once I start and I can't stay stopped and I can't stop from starting again after I do stop for a period of time. So, you know, I had tons of promises that I was going to not ever do it again forever. And um, I, in the beginning, I said those promises out loud to my friends, to my family, to my coworkers, always going, oh, I found a new diet. This time it's going to be, it's going to work. I'm going to lose all this weight, you know. Um, then I quit saying it out loud because I realized I was beginning to sound a bit ridiculous and, um, I would promise myself, always promise myself. And then, of course, we all know about the continual promises to God that, you know, if you just want me this time, I promise I'll do this and this. And um, But then, you know, finally, I just almost, I gave up emotionally anyway. Um, I, you know, I, I even relate to he could no longer work. I never lost my job, but I was doing the bare minimum. I, you know, I work as a court reporter, and so I have transcript deadlines, and I wouldn't get my transcripts out until I absolutely had to. I mean, it was like down to the to the bottom of the barrel with it. Okay, you know, let's look at the Supreme Court said it's due here, and oh gosh, that day is tomorrow, and now I have to do it. Other because I was too um, obsessed with. Um, my food, it kept me held prisoner. I couldn't think or function as a normal person. I mean, I didn't have to worry about um, getting a divorce. I was never married, you know, carrying around a 372-pound body for years and years. Um, I wasn't getting my door knocked down with marriage proposals. But um, also it says he's held up to ridicule. I, ridicule. I remember twice I overheard, of course, conversations I wasn't supposed to, but one was the bailiff at work was making a comment about how lazy how much of a lazy lard that I was. 
and he was talking to other employees in the break room about a situation in which I didn't help load some stuff when they were moving my office to another office um, because I actually had a broken foot, so that was why. But he was relating my laziness to my, you know, obesity. And so, you know, that was he was ridiculing me in front of another employee. And one time at church, I remember... Um, I walked into the bathroom and I heard two little girls that were each in the stall talking to each other through the stall saying, um, did you see that fat lady? And they were talking about me. And, you know, they weren't, and as children, not ridiculing me, but, of course, I took it as ridicule. So, you know, I mean, I'm still relating as he's getting, you know, as he's getting worse and worse with this jaywalking. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. Holy cow, I can't tell you all the ways I tried. Acupuncture. Um, every diet, every book, every self-help program shuts himself up in asylum. I remember once I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live the way I was living. And so I had myself committed to the psych ward in a hospital and was there for 10 days. Um, I wanted somebody to fix me is what I wanted. Fix me. I'm broken and I don't know what to do. And then the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine. I can't honestly remember how many, how long it was after I got out of the hospital that ate again, but it wasn't long. Um, so yeah, crazy. My re my behavior and thinking around food was crazy. And thank you, God, that I found the program of Overeaters Anonymous and the big book that was brought to life through these meetings so that I could finally understand the, um, that I had a physical allergy and then the greater aspect of the problem, which is my, the obsession of the mind and that the solution is spiritual in nature and that I could have it if I wanted it and was willing to follow a few simple guidelines without being the steps. Today, I will not tell you that in a recovered state, I don't think about food because I do. There are times I can be driving down the road and I'll see one of my favorite fast food places and I'll go, oh man, I'm just going to have. The difference today is that I remember I am able, it talked about just a few paragraphs ago that we're not able um, that there was sometimes no premeditation at all to the consequences of what happened every time. Well, the difference today is when I have those thoughts, I do remember the terrible consequences that are associated with it. And when I think something, oh, I can have just one of those, I'm recovered now, I immediately am reminded, I go, oh, no, every single time I do that, this is what happens. To me, that's recovery. I'm recovered. Now, I don't have those thoughts often every day like I did when I was binging on a daily basis, but they do come up. And my reaction to them is what is different today. And that is because I have a conscious contact with the God of my understanding who I work to the best of my ability to um, improve as much as I can. Um, I'm constantly working the steps. I work with a sponsor. I work with sponsees. And with because of that, I get to live in this recovered state. So um, anyway, thank you for letting me share, and I hope you all have a very wonderful day. Thank you, Nancy. Um, Katie's unable to share, so I'll jump in. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And you know what we're what we're reading about here is the transition from that first paragraph where we're talking, presenting this insane idea about someone who. Um, you know, loves the idea of jaywalking. I mean, here we're moving away from the illustration of the alcoholic, you know, in my case, the compulsive overeater, and we're going to pick something that's a neutral topic like jaywalking. We're going to pick something that's just completely ridiculous. Um, and they even admit in this next paragraph that it's ridiculous. But um, this is an illustration that, you know, to me, makes perfect sense as a compulsive overeater. It doesn't make sense to people who aren't compulsive overeaters or alcoholics. Um, you know, this again, it's a you know taking something that's as neutral as jaywalking and saying, you know, this is this is how crazy we really are. This is how crazy we really are. It's as though we kept doing something or keep doing something over and over again that is injurious. That we know that at some point, you know, maybe we get away with jaywalking the first time, just like me and compulsive overeating. You know, I didn't suffer the consequences of compulsive overeating um, until years later when uh, even suffering grave consequences from compulsive overeating, I, I couldn't stop. You know, I was well past the point of being able to say, I am not going to compulsively overeat and then stopping. 
And it reminds me, you know, there's this woman that I worked with and, you know, not at all an addict. I mean, not addicted to anything. I mean, you know, she, she astounded me as much as I astounded her, you know, as someone who would try to describe to her what it's like to not be able to, you know, start eating and stop. I mean, she just did not understand that. She just did not understand that. You know what? She didn't need to. She didn't need to understand it. I could describe it to her. And, and, you know, she's the type of person that could eat, you know, half of a little square of a Hershey's candy bar, and that would be enough for her. You know, or she would, I mean, she would have candy on her desk forever, you know, just like a few little pieces. And, and I'm pretty sure she didn't replace them every day after she ate them, which is something that I did. You know, she just did not understand. She did not understand. That's, that's how outrageous this example would be to someone like her. But I completely get it. You know, in this second paragraph here, starts talking about um, no longer getting away with the compulsive overeating, in my case, without those consequences. You know, beginning to lose things, as Nancy talked about, you know, maybe not losing a job, but certainly for me, it was staying under the radar screen. You know, I didn't want, I mean, I did the bare minimum. I, you know, the best I could do was sit in the bathroom stall at work and eat candy bars. I mean, that was the kind of model employee I was. And if I told people that I worked with that that's what I was doing, and I, I mean, they would be appalled at that. I mean, that's appalling behavior. But that's what I did. And the reason I did it is because I couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. It was, the, it was a place I could escape. I didn't want people to see that I was eating yet another candy bar. Um, you know, so that's, that's the kind of stuff I did. I mean, I could go on and on for hours. For hours. There's not enough time in a day for me to give you example after example of the ridiculous, completely insane things I did with food. And, and you know, for those of us with obsessive minds, of which I am one of, I, I, you know, I, the minute I said I'm not going to eat, that's all I could think about. That's all I could think about was compulsively eating, eating something. Uh, you know, any diet I went on, which, you know, toward the end of my compulsive eating, you know, as my disease progressed, I couldn't even, I couldn't go on or stay on any kind of a diet, any kind of a food plan. The food plans I made up, I couldn't stay on. I made up a plan of eating I could not stay on. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't follow it. And I'd made it up. It's not like someone had imposed it on me or my doctor had given it to me. I made it up and I couldn't even follow it. That is ridiculous. That is crazy, and that speaks to the progression of my disease. And thank God, thank God, on September 9th of 2001, I stopped eating compulsively and have not found it necessary to pick up the food, nor had a desire to pick up the food, nor had a desire to pick up the food, and I am so grateful for that. We've got time for maybe two more um, shares on this paragraph. Who would like to share? Leah? This is Amy. Okay, Leah, Leah and then Amy. Leah, why don't you go ahead? Thank you so much. Just wanted to speak to a couple things in this paragraph. It says, on through the years, this conduct continues, and yes, that speaks to the progressive nature of my disease. It always gets worse. It never got better. Um, I was able to binge using greater amounts due to my increased tolerance, due to my increased capacity uh, for food. I wasn't able to control, you know, as the years went by, I wasn't able to control consistently or predict at all the outcome of my binging, uh, when it would stop, you know, uh, the, the uh, physical state I would be in, uh, the, the different facets of the disease that, would, that uh, expressed itself in, in this compulsive overeating, wasn't able to predict that. And certainly, you know, I had this decreased ability for my body to tolerate or handle. I was getting older. So the kind of uh, violent binges that I used to have as a teenager, I could no longer tolerate in my early 20s. Um, I just couldn't process it as well. So it says, on through the years, this conduct continues accompanied by his continual promises to be careful 
or to keep off the streets altogether. When I read to keep off the streets altogether, that reminds me of abstinence. That reminds me of abstinence. But abstinence is like putting a Band-Aid on a fatal wound. The treatment is not adequate for my condition. Because when I was abstaining from my binge foods, when I was off of them for a while, I felt uncomfortable. I felt deprived. I felt impatient. I was restless, irritable, and discontent. And these obsessive thoughts would crowd my mind, and they would get so loud that I had to shut them up, just like the Jaywalker. It says, but the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine. It's like holding your breath underwater. I could only take it for so long. The only way I knew how to shut those uh, thoughts out of my mind and get relief was to, to, to pick up that first bite and to binge. And the big, book, the big book calls that an obsession of the mind. That is my main problem. Because when, just like the jaywalker here, when I finally had had enough, and when I finally said I'm going to keep off the streets altogether, I'm not going to do this anymore, everybody's going to be happy, uh, it's the end. No more binging for me. All of a sudden, I would change my mind. You know, and I would run right in front of that fire engine because it seemed like the best idea I had in a long time. And, uh, you know, it got so bad for me that I ended up hanging out with a bunch of people like you in a room called Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm happy to announce that I have not found it necessary to change my mind since January 19, 1987. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Amy, can you trim it to two minutes? I can. I'm, my name's Amy, compulsive reader, recovered from Maryland. Again, what's the transition between these two paragraphs is the progression of this disease. I mean, he has a fractured skull, broken legs, somewhat harsh, but yeah, keeps going. The transition is the progression where now he wants to stop and he can't. That is the progressive nature of this disease, and it still goes on for years. And that's what's so destructive about this disease. It will kill you in the pro- it'll destroy you in the process of killing you. This disease would be so happy to just rob you of your relationships, your life, give you continual pain and mental and physical suffering for years, folks, for years, and then you die. I mean, that's what this disease wants, to prolong. Amy, I think we lost you. Amy, can you press star one? Are you there? Yes, I I heard up to prolonged. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, where was I? Well, just to wrap it up, it says in a vision for you, for most most normal folks, drinking means conveniality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and the feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking or eating. The old pleasures were gone. They were great, but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an assistant yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. This is the true powerlessness of the disease. Even when we know that we need to stop, even if we know we're compulsive readers, knowledge and our mind alone will not help us. We place ourselves, I place myself beyond human aid. And the reality is that the bottom stops when we stop digging, but rarely do we stop digging. I don't know about you, but me, rarely do we stop digging until we finally find ourselves dying of this disease. And that's where we need to get to because rarely will we work the rest of this program, will we surrender until we finally hit bottom. And so we have to hit bottom. We have to deal with the consequences first and then realize that this is more to this disease than meets the mouth. It's what's up in our mind and that we need a spiritual transformation. We need a higher power that works when we work these 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Nancy, will you read that for us, please? I'd be happy to. Thank you, Christy. Good morning, um, recovered compulsive overeater Nancy. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. 
but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. With 